If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to take a reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 9. And we're going to read down from verse 32 through the verse 38. Book of Matthew, chapter 9. And again, we'll begin our reading in verse 32 and read down to the end of the chapter, which is verse 38. Verse 32, it says this. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitude marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And then I'll conclude our reading this morning. Forgive any of the mistakes that I may have made in the reading, please. The title of our message this morning is Spiritual Perception. Spiritual Perception. You pray for me this morning. Um, My heart is very heavy today. Very heavy for... Uh, what the Lord has shown me in these scriptures. And um, I suppose this week that as the Lord has, as I've been studying the scriptures and I guess just living routine daily life, um, I have sensed a great gulf between myself And a lot of the people in the world that really need Jesus Christ. Perhaps subconsciously, and I intend to get to our text this morning here in a few moments if you'll bear with me. Perhaps subconsciously, um, my flesh longs to have the American middle class dream. And I, my family fits a very um, prominent stereotype in our culture today. My wife and I, of course, are married with four boys. We homeschool. We go to church. We're a middle-income family. We have a home. We, our boys play sports and are involved in various activities. And those things are, bring a lot of joy to my life. We have good friends here at the church and outside the church here. We have good families. And I am... I'm grateful beyond words for God's blessings. I suppose 
This week, I was reading a book about a woman's life, and what struck me so profoundly was how her life, before God saved her, was a different world than anything I could ever understand. Uh, She was a lesbian woman who was very steeped in the culture. She was a teacher at Syracuse University and was an advocate, a very strong advocate of of those things. And as she described her life in the first probably 100 pages of this book or 80 pages of this book, I thought, I have no semblance of understanding about that life. My mind went to a couple experiences I've had that I've shared with the church, but I feel inclined to share them again. When I traveled to Africa and I went to this little community called Amasama, and I saw the poverty and the sickness and, and all the things. And as I've told you before, all I could think about was I get to go home and these people are going to stay here. And there were orphans orphanage that was full, workers trying to find ways to juggle getting enough rice and fruit for kids in the morning, and I, I sat back there in this office, and I thought, I have no, I have no comprehension of that type of life. We at our baseball team, we have a woman that we got to talking to that works at the uh, orphanage here in town, Potter, I can't remember what the name of it is. She was talking about these orphans. There's eight of them right now, and there's four boys and four girls, and then there's families that are there. I I can't comprehend being an orphan. I went to the uh, association this week and I couldn't focus very well because here I was sitting and there's nothing wrong with the association. They're good and they're helpful and don't take this as a knock on any of that. But as we were there discussing all of these things and suits and ties and it just seemed so detached from the daily struggles of people. And I was thinking about this text all week. And I kept praying, Lord, I could plunge deep into just volunteering at the local orphanage or I could plunge just go do something to go do something. And there is no sense in that. That would be as carnal as remaining removed from it if it's motivated by the flesh. And I prayed. I I said, Lord, I'm going to be scattered this morning and I hope you'll just bear with me. I've shared this with the church before, but again, I want to share it again because it just, I can't get away from it. I've always gone to church and it's been much like what I've experienced this year here at Old Union. It's been good. I love all of you very much. And it's been 
enjoyable to get to know you and to go out to eat with you and to sit in your homes and drive around with you and have the various experiences with you. And Bible studies on Wednesday night have been a highlight for me to enjoy our conversations and our, our lessons and um, seeing the school here every week and sitting back there and listening to the kids and meeting the kids and all those things have been so good. But there is still in my heart this this hole. And it, it's, it's that gulf that is fixed between us here and the people that Jesus was ministering to here. I couldn't help but notice in our text is that notice when he became moved with compassion. What was the catalyst behind him being moved? The Bible says, when he saw the multitudes. You know, one of the things in our present nation, because of our advancement in technology and because of just the way things work, things are so separated. Every, every people, group, every, things are so separated. And I have prayed all week, Lord, I don't want there to be a gulf between me and these people. But there is. And in many ways, subconsciously, the things that I have striven for in this life only broaden that that gulf. And I've prayed all week, Lord, I want... Now, I was talking to a brother about this last night. And he gave me a very wise bit of advice. He said, remember, when you step into that world, there will be weights that are painful. Because what you'll do is you'll transfer some of the pain of those broken people upon yourself, and it's not, it'll mess your life up. And he wasn't saying that in a sense not to get involved, but what he was saying is, understand the implications of what you're asking for. And I told him that that's a wise piece of advice and thing that I want God to place deep in my heart, but I suppose there is a sense to which I don't want my life to be perfect. I don't want your life to be perfect. And there is a brokenness. There, let, me, let me back up. My life right now is as good as it has ever been in my whole life. God has carnally blessed me beyond words that I could describe and yet spiritually at the same moment I am starving for something more I want to be like Jesus here you see these people and I'm not making any accusations this morning whatsoever I'm just pointing out something about the text and I'm seeing a commonality here notice that when Jesus goes out and he begins to heal this man that was a mute man he couldn't speak and this was a common occurrence that we can find all through the scriptures that Jesus would go out and he would do these miracles and there would be these religious people who in their mind had defined righteousness a certain way and their form of righteousness was rule keeping When you really boil it down to it, it was looking at a set of rules and outwardly obeying those rules and depriving them of what the spirit of why God set those things up. 
And so they went and they saw Jesus healing this man and they came to the conclusion, well, he's doing that with the power of the devil. And very often if he would heal on the Sabbath, they would criticize him for what he did on the Sabbath. You remember the occasion where that woman comes into Jesus, I believe in Simon's house, and she begins to wash his feet. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7 that the thought of Simon was, if he only knew who this woman was, then he would be repulsed by her and wouldn't allow her to do that. You see, there was a sense to which the religious people of the day had been conditioned to think a certain way about people who were broken and in sin. And I'm afraid today that very often subconsciously because of the divisive nature of our country that when we see people who are on drugs or, or struggling with certain so, sort of uh, sexual uh, sins that we look at those and we allow the vernacular of the day and the rhetoric of the day from a political world to cause us to ostracize those people. And I can tell you this morning from my own experience my heart is breaking to be around those people don't take this the wrong way I'm sick of being around religious people I'm just being honest this morning people with it all together I want to be like Jesus I want you to be like Jesus I want you to be around people who from as early as they can remember are broken and hurting and in need. So how do we do that? This last, a couple weeks ago, I preached on a Sunday night. And you know, one of the things that I've been struggling with all week is I feel like I just preach this message about once a month. And if you feel that way, I apologize. That's just the way I couldn't get away from it this week. But out on this table right here, I ask our Sunday night crew, I said, if you would, on the top of your little sticky note here, write a group of people that you feel moved in your heart with compassion towards. And so a, a number of people did it. The second part I put on the bottom of the paper, I asked them to put a second thing, and that was, what is a skill, what's an interest, what's a hobby, what's a thing that you do that you like that maybe God could use in his service to help some group of people? All the people that were listed there, it was, it was very moving to me. There were people that talked about the foster care kids, people that talked about kids with disabilities, both mental and physical disabilities. All sorts of people were talked about. I suppose this morning, I want God to give us the spiritual perception to know what to do and give us the courage to go out and do it. And as my kids live in this middle class, happy life, I'm moved with compassion when I see and consider these children who are broken, some of which perhaps irrevocably broken, that are looking for love and acceptance, who know nothing of feeling of belonging. You know, that's the amazing thing is when I go back to my mom's house, no matter how long I've been gone, there's always a sense of belonging there. That room that I used to have is now an office room. All my mom's husband's clothes are hung in that closet. But in my mind, it's still my room. And the reason is because there's this nostalgic belonging in that place. I've never known anything without it. 
and to think that all of our, um, our touchstone for so many things involve that together is that we all know here that feeling, that sense, and to consider that some people don't is too much for me to consider, especially as a child. So what do, we, what do we have to be willing to do? Now, I've said this morning already, there's no sense in us just running out and trying to go get people or trying to employ some strategy. I always find it a little humorous when you go to the Christian bookstore and, and there's these books that are like strategies for pastoring or strategies for growing your church. And I think there's not, it, it's not worth looking in that book. I'll just put it that way. Because what it requires is spiritual perception and what the people of these religious people during Jesus' era struggled with so mightily was the spiritual perception. They were looking at the same thing as Christ was, but they saw something completely different where they saw somebody who was not worth touching. Christ saw somebody who he desired to touch because he knew the compassion and love and the healing that could come from that mere touch was worth more than the risk of not touching them. And so the first thing that is required is for God to transform our eyes and our heart that when we see broken people, people lost and dying in sin, that we would ask God to give to us the spiritual perception that with that spiritual perception would come a wisdom in knowing how to act. We've got to have spiritual perception first. What else do we have to be willing to do? Condescend to men of low estate. Who do we look to for that? Jesus Christ. Perhaps, the, not perhaps, the greatest act of condescension in the history of mankind was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, one of the things today that Muslims have a hard time with Christianity, the foundational or fundamental problem that Muslims have with Christianity is they conceptualize God, God as so holy and mighty that there is no way that he would come to the earth in the flesh and dwell among people because it would be a tainting of him. It would be a blemishing of him. But listen, the God of the Bible, the God of this world, not only did he have a holiness that is beyond comparison, but he has a love that governed his actions so much that he was willing to condescend to himself to men of low estate, take upon him and deprive all of the godly attributes of power and omnipotence what he had, to put that in this, this little weak frame of a child. I look at Cal and I think how weak and feeble and yet that is how far that Christ condescended to come to this world. There were no boundaries, listen to me, there were no boundaries how low he was willing to go to reach people and to save people. Oh, the book of Philippians tells us even something mightier and condescension than just his incarnation. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Isn't that the reason why people don't condescend to others? Because in some way it is robbing us of what we deserve. 
We deserve to be of a certain status. We deserve, you know, whenever I go to Africa, one of the things you have to condescend to is you can't eat like you normally eat. One of the big struggles going over there is, you know, why do you got to eat the native food? Well, a lot of times for people uh, that live over here, the diet is not very uh, accommodating to our, our, our flesh, our stomach. It's, it's difficult over there. So there were periods of time where I would go days without eating over there because you just can't in certain areas of the country. Now, one of the things before I prepare to go, it always crosses my mind for just a moment. Man, if I go over there, I'm not going to be able to eat. Or at least not the diet. There was nothing better than one day when I came home and flew back into New York and bought a big New York sliced piece of pizza. Not a lot better I was willing to see after 14 days of being deprived of my natural comforts. Christ was deprived of all of the divine comforts that heaven had to offer. And he came anyway. He condescended to men of low estate. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Didn't think it was too good for him. But humbled himself and became obedient unto death. The Bible says, even the death of the cross. You see, in order to reach these people, listen, friends, we have to be willing to condescend to men of low estate to humble ourselves, empty ourselves of many of the normal, I'll put it this way, I'm a regimented man. I like things in a certain order. I like getting up at a certain time. I like accomplishing things. You know what you have to do whenever you work with people who are broken? It doesn't fit between a nine to five, does it? You can't keep the Monday night clear to watch the Monday night football game, can you? The tickets to WKU football on Friday night, you might have to give those away. In other words, a big part of condescension in the 21st century is abandoning our comfort zones and what our expectations are. If we're going to reach these people, really reach these people that really need it, it's going to have to take some condescending to men of low estate. I want to do that, I think. I want you to do that. You ever been so um, involved in a situation that whenever that situation falls apart for somebody else, it breaks you too? You ever care more than somebody else cared about their own situation, you know? To follow the life that Jesus lived here, and I, I haven't got to my text much, I apologize for that. Jesus, when he looked upon the multitude, he saw this vast group of people who were broken, and he knew their hearts willing to be harvested. That's what he saw. As we look upon the American landscape today, I can't help but, look to, but to hear the echoes of my mind of all the lamenting that is done about how our country has fallen from God and all of these things. All of that is true, but the implication that comes with it is that there's no hope for people that are lost. I don't believe that. And if you talk to people very much, you'll find that a lot of people 
are grasping for something real. Do you, do I, do we even more, listen to me, do we more importantly together have the imputed spiritual perception from God to see what perhaps even other good religious saved people don't see? Do we pray that God grant us those things? Or are our eyes so fixed upon maintaining subconsciously the gulf between us and that life that as those people slip off into eternity unprepared, as those people continue to make decision upon decision, only compounding their brokenness and pain, that we're isolated from it and detached from it. All that goes through my mind when I read this scripture is that is not how Jesus lived. It was antithetical to who he was, his character. When he saw the broken people, he walked in among them and he embraced them and he loved them and he stayed with them. When the people, the harlots and all the broken, all the people that came to him, he was not afraid to be stigmatized. He was not afraid to be accused by those religious people for being, having some ulterior motive. He was not afraid of any of those things. No, the character of Christ was such. He had the spiritual perception granted to him by the Holy Spirit that he could see the brokenness of people and he dwelt among them. And as a result of him dwelling among them, John 1.14 told us, and they beheld his glory. And if we do the same, guess what they'll do? They'll behold the glory of Christ in us. I was asking this lady that works at this orphanage. I asked her, I said, do you think there would ever be a chance for our kids at our church to go and like just play with those kids? Just be around them. Just, we have a, a church, a kids choir. Do you think we could just come over there and help teach them some songs and sing with them? And you know what she said to me? She said, you know, I think that'd be a good thing because you know what these kids need more than anything? Just to feel normal. Just, doesn't that just break your heart? Like, doesn't that do to you what it does to Jesus? Aren't you moved with compassion that all a kid wants is to be a number of kids? Not a label, not a, not a welfare program, not nothing. Those are the people Jesus went to and those are the people that I want to get to. <laughs> Whenever the day comes in the future that I've gone from here, if all I've ever done is wag my finger up in this pulpit and preach the truth and loved you people, but we haven't touched those people, I'll consider in my own heart an utter failure of a bastard. That's how desperately I want to reach those people. Verse 36 in this text, here's what a different version reads. <laughs> when he saw the throngs, he was moved with compassion because they were bewildered like sheep without a shepherd. They were bewildered. I thought, what a good word. What a good word to describe people today, isn't it? They just don't know where they're going, they're just wandering. They just, they just go this way for a little while and then 
Somebody sets a new objective up and they say, well, I'll try that for a while. That person looks happy and they're just bewildered. They're just walking all over and they don't know where they're going. And all the time, God's people have the direction. We know where we're to go. We know where other people need to go. And yet there's a gulf that separates us. And we stand in our separate houses and we stand in our separate churches and our separate buildings and all these people are bewildered, needing to know where to go. And then we're pulling our hair out saying, well, why isn't our church growing? Why isn't good things happening? Oh, and it breaks my heart. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. But I do know this, if we will unite together in prayer that God would give us the spiritual perception that Christ has, he will answer our prayers. And we'll make friends with people. You'll become best friends with people. You know, this woman that I told you about, I was reading about, I finished her book this week. I started about a month ago because I think I talked about her and then I stopped and then I started the whole book over this week. And now she's this, she was so deep into this, this, this horrible culture. You know where she at now? She's married. She's 39 when she got married, if I remember correctly. She adopted four kids. African-American kids. She was a white woman. She adopted four African-American kids. Had a number of kids coming in and out of her home that Foster said she said it didn't work out. It just broke her. It didn't work out. She's a homeschool mom. And she lives her life for the Lord. You know who she used to be? That person on CNN with the rainbow flag talking about how unjust it would be if gay marriage wasn't okay. That's who she used to be. And then this man met her. He wasn't aggressive and he didn't show a Bible, throw a Bible in her face day one, did he? No, he didn't. But as she tells her own story, I'd recommend all of you read the first two chapters of that book. The rest of it's just okay, but the first two chapters are, man. He had a relationship with her. You know what, you know what she did to test him? She brought some of her transgendered friends over for dinner. She's curious how he'd act. You know how he acted? didn't change a thing. He was polite and he was kind and he was loving. You know what he saw? Broken people who need the character of Christ before they need the word of Christ. These scriptures, you know the thing about these scriptures that I read to you this morning is they're, they're I'm not using this word, they're cliche in the sense that you find them all over the Bible. And there's nothing, like we're so used to that being who Jesus was that it just doesn't even stand out anymore. And that's one of the things that makes Christ so excellent. Is that his willingness to just condescend and go dwell with sinners and how it would impact who he was and what he did is so commonplace, natural part of his character that we just say, well, it's not that big of a deal. This morning... I want to close with this. Well, two things. Number one, I would ask anybody to write something down on these sticky notes. Number one, what's a demographic of people that you feel burdened 
or just moved with compassion about. Maybe God won't send us to them. Maybe he will. Write it down and let all all of us see it so we can pray about it together. The second thing I ask you to write down on this piece of paper is, what is something God has gifted you and interested you and given you a hobby about that maybe God could use for his glory to help people? That's number one. It's up there. I'm going to leave it up there for a couple Sundays. Feel free, take a sticky note, write something down. The second thing is this. My sinful flesh sometimes gets bored with the gospel. I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to say that, right? I'm just being honest this morning. You read the same stories. You study the same things in Sunday school. You study the same things on Wednesday night. You know, I got, I got to praying this week about it, asking God, you know, what, where's the enthusiasm at? Where's the zeal? Where's the zest? And then the thought crossed my mind, you know, if we have secret big news, let's say before Callan was born, we knew that we were going to have a baby. And we were really excited about it. If you don't know that we're going to have a baby, then it's super exciting for us to tell you because you don't know about it. But if you already know, is it really that exciting to tell you about it? Is there that much enthusiasm that wells up if you already know about it? Well, absolutely not. I think that's been the state of many people in church about the gospel and their own salvation. Is that for so long it's been recycled to the same people in the same place that guess what? The zeal, the passion, the love, the reality of how transformative of a moment that regeneration truly was has been lost on us. But you get out to people who have heard nothing of it, whose lives are in shambles, and you can tell them, listen, I was sinking in the miry clay, but now God has lifted me up and he set my feet upon a rock. When you contrast what your life is versus what you perceive your life could have been had you continued to walk the path that those people on, guess what's going to happen? There is going to be a renewed zeal in your heart for the things of God, for the Word of God. If you engage in Bible study with people who don't know anything about the Bible, guess what you're going to do? When you're telling these people the same old story that you've taught on in Sunday school for decades, there is going to be a renewal in the love and the passion that you have for the Word and for God himself, and it is going to inspire you more than what it previously has. I think sometimes preachers grow stale, church members grow stale of the gospel and of its truth because we're just running it through a a filter that has heard it so many times. Oh, but God grant us the grace. God grant us the perception, the zeal, the desire to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to share it with people. And I think what we'll find is that our love for Jesus Christ and what he has done will burn hotter than what it ever has and will be certainly contagious to those around us. You ever go through those stages? I'm going to try to close. You ever go through those stages where you're so self-focused? You're just feeling... So bad for yourself. I remind myself in those moments. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Your problem is you're just thinking about you. Your problems aren't your problems. Your problems are that you're thinking about you. And then the next question arises, well, then who can I put my mind on? Well, certainly we could say if you have a spouse, your spouse and your children, all those, all those responsibilities and people are, are necessary. But there is something that wells up in us 
when God has made you the steward of somebody who is lost in need of Christ and that he is using you as the primary vehicle to reach them. Or when my brother-in-law, when a man named Roger Elliman, there were a number of people I could list who they had just been saved and they, had, they were not matured at all in the faith. They knew hardly anything about the Bible. They knew nothing of God's ways. And you're talking about a renewed zeal when God brought them to me and I was responsible for helping develop their understanding of God's word. How, when I would look to the scriptures, I was looking at it in a new way. God was revealing new things. I was asking him new questions. I was seeking new things. Maybe God will do that with us. This morning, I guess if I could summarize my sermon, I want to be more like Jesus and I want you to as well. I, I can't, I can't be satisfied with being a middle-class, 21st century American Christian. My flesh revels in happiness and my spirit is doubled over in sorrow. Pray with me, please. Pray with me. You wonder what... What do you think our children see when they see people talk about the love of Christ but not show it? When, they talk about, when we talk about the transformation that God does in the soul and in the life, but they never see it. When we talk about the endless depth of His forgiveness of sin... And his restoration and cleansing of that sin. And yet we can't point to somebody they can go touch and talk to. One of the great powers of Christ's ministry is that people saw it. He didn't just send prophets. He came himself. There is something about a living, breathing example. One of the things in preaching I've always noted is, listen, I can quote all the stories of the Bible, but sometimes what people need to hear is something today. It makes it to our fallen minds relevant. Don't you want that for your kids and your grandkids? Don't you want to be able to go back to your child that is out of church and tell them this story about somebody who is lost and broken and all the ideologies, the leftist ideologies that are out there, the academic ideologies that are out there that are so wildly uh, opposite of what the Bible teaches and say, listen, we've got this person that is a member of our church now. You would not believe their story. Don't you think that would get them to second guess their commitment to all those things when instead of old mom and old dad preaching the same old antiquated line to them, that they get to hear from somebody, you can say, listen, I'm going to send you this video of this person in our church's testimony and how deep they, don't you think that would speak more? In mom and dad's voice, perhaps. I've said a lot this morning. None of it is meant to be negative whatsoever. It's my heart's cry. It's my heart's plea. I want us to be more like Jesus. I can't live in the theory and abstraction of biblical truth and not live in it. I can't sit in an office all week studying 
marvelous truths and not seeing them embodied in our lives. It's, it's torturous to my soul. And I pray it will be to yours as well until God gets us out there. I want to be like Jesus. I want you to, to pray. My prayer request from this sermon, Lord, give us the spiritual perception, please, to know how to reach these people right here. Those right there on those papers. And when God shows you what we should do, you know, sometimes that's what God does. He just reveals it to a couple of us. And somebody says, I, have a, I feel like, I feel a burden. Like God is saying, we need to do something with this Potter orphanage home in town. Or I think he is, I don't know. You bring it to us. And let's all get together and commit ourselves to praying that God would open our eyes. And listen, friends, he will. He will. I know God does not want us to live. Per- that's, what, that, that's what hoping often does. Is it allows you or just or, or hoping not in the biblical sense, but in, in today's usage of the word. We hope one day that we can reach some people. Cast this cloud of doubt over the future that God will directly answer us and give us inspiration to move in a certain way. I don't want that. I want to storm the courts of heaven with you, not by myself, with you. And say, God, how can you employ us? I pray. I pray this morning God would burden us in that way. I couldn't help but note the song that was sung before our our sermon today, Sweet Hour of Prayer. It's what we need. The broken record played again. I hope God will help you to hear it. I hope he'll help me to hear it. And I hope I can be more like Jesus in Matthew 9. Because that's who I want to be like. That's our message this morning. I pray God would share it in your heart as deeply as he's planted it in mine.